Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Why are you carrying around the uh, legislative mace? Uh, to hit people with. That is what it's used for. A democratic cudgel. Coming to you almost live from a secret room deep underneath the Alberta legislature, where the shadow government meets. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your conspiratorial hosts. Yes. Yes, and we are going to be talking about government conspiracies. Or, you know, just politics. In general. Generally speaking, just some... But aren't all politics really a conspiracy? Yes. A conspiracy of the many? The answer is, of course. Of course. Yes. We will be joined a little later on in the podcast by Dave Cornwoyer. I never say his name right. Dave Cornwoyer. We're going to have an award-winning blogger on our award-nominated podcast. Yes, he is the uh, curator of DaveBerta.ca. He is a political watchdog. And uh, he knows his stuff. Yeah. I mean, and we wanted to talk to him about the uh, recent by-election and uh, kind of set the stage, as it were, for next year's provincial and federal elections. Yeah, because depending on who you talk to, um, there's a very good chance we're going to have an, another election very, very soon, uh, which, is, which is difficult to even think about. But that's the reality. And I kind of disagree with that. Is that right? Um, I am a proponent of uh, being involved in the political process. And I think that, um, I don't think elections are tedious. I think that campaigning is tedious. (laughs) I will will go on record saying that. So the process from when the writ is dropped up to the election day. Can can be tedious. Sure, yeah. And and can be just the lowest point of democracy. Just watching uh, people not even have a constructive conversation anymore. Um, They're not talking about what they would like to do to help you. They're just talking about how the other person is going to screw you up. That's right. And uh, that can be depressing and can bring out my inner cynic. But the actual process of voting. And the actual electoral process itself, that is something that, you know what, there could be an election every month and I would make the time to go out and vote. Yeah, that would get really, really costly, but uh, but I understand what you're saying and I yeah. agree with you. I like the act of the democratic process. And let's talk a little bit about local politics, because uh, earlier this week, a prominent real estate agent uh, named Terry Peranic, you've probably seen his billboards around town, basically publicly chewed out Andrew Knack for a trial on snow removal that they're going to be doing in the neighborhood of Crestwood in Edmonton. So so the background on this is that um, Councillor Knack uh, voted in favor of doing a, a, a special snow removal program in Crestwood that would see blading happen almost right down to the pavement, if they can get it that low, and then the piling up of windrows on one side of the street, which would prohibit parking on that side of the street. But would free up the other side of the street. That's right. It's uh, it's something that they talked about to try to alleviate the um, the problem of just general windrows. Yeah. Basically saying, okay, well, we'll just pile it all up on one side of the street and see how that works. That's right. And like with most pilot projects in the city, they are testing it on a small scale to see how it works. Yeah. And uh, this, this real estate agent, Terry Pranik, took uh, exception to that. And basically... 
in front of the media said that if one of his children is dumb enough to climb onto a windrow and fall into traffic and get killed, that that was on Andrew Knack. That would be Knack's fault. And just, it was absurd. It, it's, a, it's an Edmonton Journal article you can read about it. David Staples wrote about it. But like, come on, man. If your kid climbs up onto a windrow, falls down and dies in traffic, that's on you for being a shitty parent. Anyway, that just pissed me off because as you know, we've had Andrew Knack on the show before. And he is a very delightful man. And you know what, Terry Peranich, you're welcome to come on the show and yeah. talk about stuff. Talk about real estate. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have you on. We'll talk about uh, real estate and how you yell at city councilors. So. But we may or may not disagree with your point this time. Correct. So that was kind of weird. That was kind of a weird thing in local, local I can, politics. I can understand why people are leery about the concept of the windrows on one side of the street. Because that means a higher windrow on one side of the street. And if you live on that side of the street... It sucks. It sucks to be you, yeah. basically. Um, so I, I can understand where they're coming from. But let's put it in a different context. At least the city is trying something different. That's right. At least they're exploring their options. And for the longest time, our city has been very satisfied with a status quo that we were always complaining about. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, something that I think Edmonton has been moving away from over the last decade is just the city that is unhappy with how things are, but unwilling to do anything different. Yeah, yeah. It seems like that there is now a culture at the city where there's a willingness to change. And unfortunately, change isn't all that easy on everybody. And, and sometimes you're going to try something out and it's not going to work. Exactly. But we have to be able to try that stuff to figure exactly, out what works. Exactly, yes. So unfortunately, that's a, you know, that's a trial run of snow removal they're going to do. We'll see if it works and it will. And people have been complaining for years about the snow removal in our city and how there's got to be a better way. And maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. Who knows? We're going to have to wait and see. And maybe it's not. Maybe it'll be a terrible project that they, by the end of this winter, are just going, you know what? We're we're never even going to speak of this again. It's so bad. And they'll try something different and good on them. At least they're trying something. Exactly. Now, I want to take the snow... Heated roads, I maintain, by the way, for, <laughs> I'm going to say, like, the sixth year running is the way to go. The pavement lobby is... Uh, also, it would cost the city billions that would of be, dollars. That would be so ridiculous. Billions expensive. of dollars. Yeah, it would be bad. Um, I want to talk about another issue in snow that came up uh, just a few hours before we started recording this episode. I saw on Twitter there was some discussion um, about a citywide snowball fight that would take place at some point when the conditions are best. So if you follow the hashtag Yegg snow fight, you'll see a lot of people talking about having this big giant snowball fight. It's basically a, um, it's like crowdsourcing a snowball fight. Kind of. Yeah. I was, I was going to say it's, um, Oh, I put myself on the spot, and now I've it's on the tip of my tongue. Well, while you're thinking about it, let me explain it in a little more detail. The way that they wanted it to work. Flash mob. It's like a flash mob. It's like a snowball flash That's mob. That's right. That's the word I was looking so for. So the way it would work is if, you know, the, there's sticky, big clumps of snow that are good for snowball making, that a call would go out over Twitter on the, using this hashtag, and I, apparently some people will get text messages about this, and, um, and it'll just be like, hey, come out and join us for this awesome snowball fight. And I think it's a great idea. I can't believe it's never been done before. It has to have been done before. Uh, I want to say that there's been some sort of 
giant mass snowball fight at the U of A before. Sure, but I but like nothing done in the style of a flash mob, as you put it. I don't think anyway. So it could be really interesting when that call goes out. Do you think you'll answer it, Scott? Uh, it would depend on when yeah. and where the snowball fight is taking place. Let us assume it is at a, in a convenient location and you're not working that day. Uh, then quite possibly. Yeah, I think I would too. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Um, now, I do know the scuttlebutt Ooh. is that it would happen in a central location. So likely somewhere downtownish. Okay, that'd be cool. Uh, but yes, indeed, that they will wait until the conditions are right. So it could happen... It could have already happened by the time you're listening to this episode. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. Yeah, there might be a big dump of snow in between the time we're recording and releasing this. And uh, there might be just a snowball fight happening. That would be pretty cool. You could be listening to this at the snowball fight. How meta is that? That would be crazy. Now, if you are, our advice is to just duck and cover. Uh, you'll want to find some good sticky snow to clump together. Yeah. Something that'll that'll almost kind of stick to a person after you've thrown it out. Yeah, you want that's that's called adding insult to injury. You just you want it to linger. Yeah. You want them to remember you by the snow that is stuck to their bodies. So um this past weekend I actually had the opportunity to use the uh the new Pogo car sharing service that's that was established here in Edmonton. And it's been pretty great. Actually, so uh, anyone who's been to Calgary, Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto will be familiar with these. You walk up to a car, you you use a little fob that the company sends you to unlock the door, and then you get the keys out of the glove box when you enter a PIN number, and then you can just drive around. It costs like 67 cents a minute or something like that, um, and I, I've used it all weekend. It's been fabulous. Uh, I, of course, live downtown in the uh, in the zone where the service operates. But it's so good to see something like this, uh, you know, taking place in Edmonton finally. Well, and it it uh, saves, especially people, as you say, living downtown, the need to have a car to get around. Yeah. Because you can just obtain a car when you need on those rare occasions when you might need one. Yeah, like the grocery shopping or something like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, when uh, transit is just not going to be convenient for you. And let's be fair, taking a cab can be costly oh yeah yeah this is definitely way less expensive than that um yeah i've really enjoyed it i I, the purpose of using it actually is because uh rachel my girlfriend and i we each have a car and i want to get rid of mine mine's old it's it's almost it's a 2001 so it's getting on in years i've replaced the transmission it's got like 233,000 kilometers on it it's time for it to die and it's very close to doing that it's making all kinds of horrible noises horrible expensive noises (laughs) And, uh, and so the purpose of my trying out Pogo is to see if it's viable for me to uh, use it, you know, to get to and from places. Uh, I can actually walk to work. I don't walk to work as often as I should, uh, but I can. And, uh, and, you know, I took Pogo. Uh, we record this at my, at my office. And I took Pogo here today. And it was, uh, you know, less than a mile. And it cost me, like, less than it would have cost to take the bus here. So it's pretty great. I'm pretty excited about it. It's nice for Edmonton to get nice things. Yes. We've been without nice things for too long. Yeah. And it it feels like things are starting to happen here, which is really great. So uh, right now, the zones for Pogo, if you go to pogocarshare.com, you'll see that they operate, um, they go as far west as Groat Road. They go as far east as 97th Street, as far north as 107th Ave, and as far south as 76th Avenue. So it's a small area that they're covering right now, and they only have something like 20 cars. But if you, th- you consider the service like uh, Car2Go in Calgary, 
uh, which has just grown tremendously over the last few years. I think they've got, well, I'm sure they have well over 100 cars in their fleet, which is pretty great. Now, my only problem with Pogo is that it is an Edmonton company. And you'd probably think that's kind of a dick thing to say. An Edmonton company doing something cool is great. And it is. But I can't use my Pogo membership in other cities. Whereas if I went to Calgary and signed up for car to go, I could use that in, I believe, Vancouver and Toronto. So it's kind of weird that they decided to go with this made in Edmonton solution uh, without, you know, thinking about whether or not this is a service that could be used elsewhere. Well, and they might uh, at some point partner up with some of those other services. That would be great. In fact, that would be one of my suggestions to them. Uh, Because then, as you say, you could uh, be traveling you could end up in Vancouver for the weekend for whatever, say you're there for business. And rather than having to rent a car, you already are, are using this service, paying for this service. So you just find one of their cars and away you go. Yeah. Yeah. That would be the dream. That would be my dream. Uh, next weekend, we're, uh, I'm pretty excited about this. We do this every year, but it'll be fun. Um, we are going to be at the Pure Speculation Festival. Is it a festival? It is a festival. We're gonna it be markets at- itself as a festival. Yeah, so we'll be at the Pure Spec Festival um, hanging out with the folks that are there. Uh, and we'll be interviewing a fellow by the name of Dave- David Gerald, I think his name is. David Gerald. He was, he's an author. He's written over 50 books. And he's also the guy who wrote the Star Trek episode, Trouble, the Trouble with Tribbles. Which is up there as a classic favorite episode. I'd say it's probably one of the better known original series episodes. So you're pretty excited. I, I am very excited. And uh, this is something we've done uh, several years past. Yeah, we Often have. Uh, it's been just me having to uh, speak to the guest of honor because you've been busy. I think once maybe you had to do that. And I think about it, I think we've only actually both spoken to one author. Yeah, that, and, that and that was, was Gail Carriger. Yeah, last year. And she was terrific. Was she was. Very interesting uh, to but hear But we will definitely both be there this year. Yep. Because I booked that weekend off. That's right. And so that I could take in the festival. Well, and they let us know, you know, that it was happening. They let us know two months ago. They uh, enjoy having us come and talk to their writer guest of honor. Yeah. So you'll, we're happy to do it. You'll actually, our next episode of The Unknown Studio will be an interview with their writer guest of honor. That is correct. a lot of fun. Yes. And it uh, should be just a fun festival too while yeah. we're on the topic. Um, tickets are still available and will be available day of because it's, let's, it's basically a convention. You go, you, you spend money to stay the day, you get to... Uh, uh, take in panels. Uh, there's gaming that you can uh, be part of, both uh, uh, more of the tabletop variety. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, vendors for you to uh, purchase nerdy things from. And uh, it's generally a good time. And if you've ever been to uh, a larger convention like uh, the Calgary Comic Expo or the Edmonton Entertainment Expo, stuff like that, um, Pure Spec is a bit smaller. So it's a little more intimate. You have an opportunity to, uh, there's not a huge crush of people. You have an opportunity to maybe get a little bit of FaceTime with someone you want an autograph from. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can uh, check out their website. Yeah, purespec.org. Um, to find out who all of the guests are and, and what some of the programming is for the, uh, for the weekend. And uh, yeah, generally it's a good time. It's, and I, it, I, it pains me to say, it's almost like a hidden gem. In a way. Uh, yeah, it is. Because not many people seem to know about Pure Spec. And no. every year there's always people who I talk to who are like, 
oh, I've never heard of that. Is that new? And it's like, well, no, it's... <laughs> it's been around for a long time. It's been around for a while, and uh, it's been struggling to grow because the word just doesn't seem to get out. Yeah, well, it's getting out now because we're doing it. We're getting it out there. But we've gotten it out there for a few years. It's true. It's true. But you should check it out. It's, it's you know, as far as cons go, it's a... Or, or, you know, I mean, they're billing themselves as a festival, and it's true that they are, but uh, it's sort of from the same category, in a way. Um, it is really a lot more intimate, I find, and and relaxed. It's like a really chilled-out atmosphere. Yeah, and it's partly because there's just not that huge crush of people. Exactly, yeah. Um, so if you've ever wanted to check out a convention, but uh, have been intimidated by the the pictures of the thousands and thousands of people crammed into a vendor's area at San Diego Comic-Con or even the Edmonton Expo uh, a few months ago or last month. Uh, yeah, that's right. It seems like it was so long ago. It does, actually. Uh, then uh, this is an opportunity to come out and kind of get that kind of experience and and enjoy that kind of atmosphere without that... Uh, without the hassle of all the people. Yeah, yeah, it's true. In fact, uh, a few or, of their... Or the lineups. Yeah, there, there aren't really that many. Um, a few of their guests of honor include uh, Lucas Cochran, who is the tech correspondent on Daily Planet, which is pretty cool. Um, we mentioned David Gerald. He's an author, author of over 50 books. Um, David Gross will be there, who... Um, also uh, an author. Yeah, also an author. Dan Riskin, who's the co-host of Daily Planet... Amber E. Scott will be there. Uh, she is also a writer. That's right. And Samuel R. Delaney will be Skyped in, and he's an American author, I guess. Yeah. So it, it's going to be really cool. And and they've got, a, you know, those are just their guests of honor. They also have panelists. Oh, yeah. So um, I, I was just taking a look at them, and I, uh, our friend Mike Pershawn is going to be there. He is usually is. Yeah. Uh, to talk about something interesting. S- something interesting. And th- basically everything that comes out of Mike Bershawn's mouth is interesting. Yeah. I had an opportunity to have a beer with him once and it was the most riveting hour and a half of my life. We would like to have him on the show. It's weird that we haven't. Uh, it's, he is a very busy man. Yeah. He, and t- he teaches is, at McEwen, right? Yeah. And it is difficult to uh, get a little bit of his time. Um, not that he doesn't want to provide that time usually if he, uh, is interested in what you're doing, just, he's a very busy man. Yeah. Uh, so w- this is a promise. We're making a promise right now. Mike Pershawn will be on this show. This season, we're going to have him on. We will make it happen. And he'll probably talk about steampunk because that's kind of his specialty. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I also think, uh, uh, another exciting thing coming up for us, which is, uh, sort of related to... Nothing. Uh, but I'm just thinking about it now because of the, uh, the text message that you sent me yesterday, which is that we will be at the launch of the Christmas Bureau's annual campaign, which should be awesome. Um, and usually that's done, they do like a gingerbread building, uh, gingerbread house decorating contest. So we'll be participating in that. And apparently competing against other social medians. Indeed, there is uh, apparently a prize for social media, best in social media this year. So are we going to cheat? Are we going to, like, because you know how all the other, like, media this guests... Is, this is the background information <laughs> on the Christmas Bureau gingerbread uh, house building thing that they do every year. Um, they invite out all sorts of different media folk to build a gingerbread house, and uh, it's all as part of the campaign to to um, launch the Christmas Bureau's fundraising and, and whatnot to uh, provide meals 
to underprivileged Edmontonians, and and that's great. But uh, the media groups that show up, and there are prizes yeah. that they give out. They give out a little trophy for like the best in show and whatnot. They blatantly cheat. Yeah. I just like CTV, breakfast television, the Edmonton Oilers, they come out and they, they bring truckloads of outside (laughs) material to decorate their gingerbread houses. And they just blatantly break the rules. Yeah. Flagrantly. And we every year have played by the rules and built our little gingerbread house and it's been nice. And (laughs) we come nowhere close to winning no. because we simply can't compete with these big budget gingerbread houses. <laughs> we kept joking that one year we were going to, uh, in advance, obtain like a gingerbread castle and then just surreptitiously swap it out from under the table, like partway through the building process. And it's, it's still And we would late. probably win. It's, yeah, we, sh- we should try that maybe. Actually, <laughs> I'm going to make some gingerbread walls this, this week and, and we'll see if we can take the trophy this year for once. But maybe now that there's a category... For social media. Uh, but let's be fair. As, as is usually the case in any social media category with the Unknown Studio, we will be first runner-up. That is right. That is correct. That has been our brand story since the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> Basically. But it'll be fun. Yes. You can find out more about that the day of. If you follow us on Twitter on November 17th, we'll be talking about it. Or you could check out the Christmas Bureau online to find out more. And uh, we will be right back with our guest. Yes. We should thank no one. We're going to thank no one. Well, I, for their continued support of our podcast. <laughs> I will thank Waterloo Ford for supporting us in the month of October. It That's was, true. They, they, some generous uh, support from them. Um, but, uh, at the moment we are sponsorless. Yeah. So we're actually looking for sponsors. If you're interested, you can email Adam at the unknown and we will give you a preferred rate. If you, if you include the phrase, Scott has a fine hairdo in the email. It is the phrase that pays. The, the phrase that pays. Scott has a fine hairdo. Now we're very fortunate to be joined, uh, today by award-winning blogger, uh, political watchdog and... Dude without a sticky uppy haircut, Mr. Dave Cornway. How you doing, Dave? I'm I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. Great. It's good. nice to have you back on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's, Thank you for having me. It's been many years, actually. We had you on our first season and we talked about post partisan politics. Have yeah. had did that episode solve partisan politics? I'm curious. Is that still a thing? <laughs> well, you know, I, I I would hope so, but unfortunately, no. It's still something that uh, that plagues our political system. Do you feel that the system is getting more and more partisan, like every election? Well, I just don't. I don't think it's changed. I think it's probably just as partisan as it was when we talked a couple years ago. Yeah, it does feel that way. The Alberta Party was supposed to be the great hope that changed all of that. And they've managed to make exactly two ripples in the pool that is politics in Alberta. What do you think the deal is with those guys? Well, I think first it's it's uh, it's hard to build something from scratch when you you know even to to build a political party from you know from an idea and a name is uh, is not an easy thing to do, especially when you're going up against political parties who have brands 
that and 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 uh, almost religiously loyal activists that have followed it for years. Um, so yeah, that's 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 it. It's hard to build a political party. I think is is the issue, and also I think that the I mean one of the issues with with the Alberta Party is that they are uh, you know they cast themselves as kind of moderate centrist party, and it's really hard to rally around centrism. <laughs> you know, yay moderation, great. You know. <laughs> No man, I agree. So you know, it's it's it, it's it's not like they're the Wild Rose Party where there are you know right wing ideologues involved in that party, or or the NDP where there are left wing ideologues involved in that party. And there's a little more, I guess you could say, ideological substance to really rally rally behind. With with a, a moderate party, it's hard to do, especially when the when the the Alberta PCs, who have been in power for forty three years, really have that. I mean, they really own the kind of the moderate middle, right? They've created this big tent political party where they're every, everything, everybody from moderates to right wingers are in this party. In this, and you know, they exist almost purely to sustain government. It's it's really hard to tell on on a on a on a year to year basis what the PC party actually really stands for. It's yeah, it, it's an amorphous blob of uh, of of power, really. Many of their uh, MLAs are amorphous blobs as well. Just kidding. They're all very fit. I love the PCs. Um, someone once told me that the PC party isn't actually good at winning elections. They're just good at not losing them. What do you think of that? Like, do, is this, a, is, is, have they been in power for so long that, that they, they lack focus when it comes to elections, when it comes to policy, that sort of thing? Well, I, I think so. And I think this is probably what happens to any party that's been in power for that long. I mean, you could even look to Ottawa uh, back in the mid-2000s when the Liberals were on their way out. You could make the same argument that the Liberals were in a similar similar place to where the PCs are now. You didn't really know what they stood for. You knew, you really, you knew what they used to stand for. Everybody knows Lester Pearson and Pierre Trudeau and even Jacques Cartier when he came into power. So you already knew what they used to stand for and some of their accomplishments in the past, but you didn't, you couldn't really pinpoint where exactly they stood uh, at that point. And I think the same thing is is it's happening with the PCs. Is you know you have a party that you know one of its big successes is its ability to constantly reinvent itself around leaders. So it's not even really so much what the party stands for as much as what the leader, what kind of image the leader is trying to project. I mean, you, see, you know, the party of. You know, the party of Alison Redford was very different than the party of Ralph Klein or the party of Peter Lougheed. Yeah. I mean, I think we're still too early to really tell what the party of Jim Prentice looks like. I mean, he's he's had, a, I would say, a good first two months, uh, you know, a really, a really good honeymoon period. He's been able to pick a lot of the low-hanging fruit and make some popular decisions. But, we, you know, in the long term, we really don't know what Jim Prentice really stands for yet. He hasn't really had to make any hard decisions um, which has helped him kind of sustain his popularity over the past two months. So it's really hard to tell where the PC's party is going to go. Is it a good thing or a bad thing for a political party to be so dependent on the person in charge to um, give them identity, I guess would be the best way to put it? Uh, because it seems to me that uh, a party should be built around uh, a general platform. The leader should just be the one who is uh, the the face of the party and presenting that platform. They shouldn't be the the whole substance of the party. 
that that's my opinion on the matter. Yeah. So I'm just curious what someone who's a little more in tune to politics thinks of that. Well, it's I guess it's good for the party when it works, and it's bad for the party when it doesn't work. I mean, fair point. You know, Ralph Klein was hugely popular until his until his final final years as premier. Say what you will about yeah. his policies or his personality, the man was charismatic. Absolutely, and he was able to appeal to uh, you know a broad, really an incredibly broad cross section of Albertans. Um, it didn't really work when Alison Redford became the leader, and you know, in two years, they she totally flamed out, and and the the party was cast into chaos. Uh, which seems to be, you know, calmed a little bit with Jim Prentice. I mean, there's still, I think there are still a lot of outstanding issues that the PC party needs to deal with. Uh, but you know, it works when it does, when they have a good leader, and it doesn't when it when they don't. Um, I mean, you would think that uh, politics should be about ideas, and it should be about who has the best ideas. But we we have an increasingly leader focused system. I mean, everybody's talking about Justin Trudeau. No one's really talking about what the Liberals stand for. The Conservatives talk about Stephen Harper don't really you I mean you kind of have an idea you know what the conservatives stand for but you don't you know in terms of policy wise could people actually really name conservative policies it's not the conservative government in canada it is the harper government Ex- yeah canada. exactly exactly so we have the prentice government here here in alberta uh so i mean you know being so close to the united states where there is a strong presidential system i think that's really uh really permeated into canada and or I don't know if permeated is really the right word. It's Even though our government cross-pollinated is into into Canada, based on the on the British system, um, because of the presidential system in the United States, we tend to focus more on the leaders of the parties as opposed to the parties themselves. That's right, absolutely. So it's, it's insidious. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, the idea of a coalition government in Canada, like yeah. coalition governments, are required in Europe to have a government, partly because there are, in many European nations, there are so many parties that no one could gain a majority. Yeah. But even in Britain, the idea of a, a coalition government could happen. Well, they have one right now. Exactly. Yeah. But in Canada, it's like, whoa, I'm sorry, are you saying that two other parties could join forth? Who would be the leader of that party? Yeah. How would, how would government happen? Scoff. And I think that's partly because of uh, because we are so influenced by the American political system. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So uh, we we touched on Jim Prentice and what his government stands for, and and we're not really sure what that is. I mean, he mm-hmm. spent he spent the first ten days that he was the leader of the uh, of the party of the government. Um, he spent ten well two weeks unraveling everything that she had done. So he's he's not Alison Redford, and he wanted. I mean, I think that he wanted to make that pretty clear. But and he had to make that. Yeah, pretty absolutely. Clear. He and so he, he went out there with a message that this wasn't going to be, you know, politics as usual. He he canceled the government fleet, which you know whether you're in favor of it or not, that was a big boondoggle for Alison Redford. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he. I, I can't remember all the stuff that he undid, but if Alison Redford did it, it doesn't exist anymore. And it seems sorry, be, Allison. Who? It's I think. Yeah, I think, sorry, I think her name's right. been, been 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 cast from the records. Sorry, the last premier of Alberta. He, she, she who, she who shall not be named. <laughs> the Voldemort <laughs> of Alberta politics. Now, I thought when he when Prentice came in and appointed his cabinet, and he named two dudes who were not MLAs, not sitting MLAs. Stephen Mandel is his health minister, and Gordon Dirks is his education minister. I thought, holy shit, this is going to be this is going to be like crazy because these guys are going to have to win by elections. On top of the fact that Jim Prentice still needed to win a by election, and yet probably to everyone's to no one's surprise except mine, they all they all won. All four by elections were won by the PCs. What the hell is up with that? Well, I mean, the, you know, the, 
the PCs have been in power in, in Alberta for 43 years. You know, winning the PCs winning an election in the province is like the least, most least surprise, least surprising thing I can think of. Um, I mean, I think there was some expectation that that it, the Tories would at least lose one of those ridings. Um, but when you look at it closely, uh, the, you know, there were all four of them were strong conservative ridings, even in the last election when where it was a really close race between the PCs and the Wild Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, but I. I think there was an expectation that the Wild Rose at least would win one, and I think it was a big disappointment for that party. Uh, not that, the, the, that they just didn't win, because I, I didn't. I actually thought the Tories were going to win all four of the by-elections, but that the Wild Rose only really came close in one of the seats, and they actually placed third in two of them. Is that right? Yeah, which was which was really surprising. In Edmonton, they placed the Wild Rose placed behind the NDP candidate. And the and NDP has been making gains. Yeah, I mean yeah. the polls are saying that they're quite popular in the cities. In, in Edmonton, yeah, yeah, Edmonton, not, not Edmonton, so much Calgary. No, no, oh, they're never. They don't really exist in Calgary. The NDP is not a, not really a factor in Calgary. They actually do fairly well in Lethbridge of all places. Hmm. Uh, but Lethbridge and Edmonton is where where the NDP are doing well. And I think with uh, you know with Rachel Notley, they kind of transitioned. I think at a, at a really right time, transitioned their leadership from Brian Mason to Rachel Notley because, yeah, as Scott said, the NDP were doing really well in the polls and. I think there was kind of a consensus, from what I understand in the NDP, that Brian Mason had kind of taken that party as far as he could mm-hmm. after being leader for 10 years. Uh, so handing it off to Rachel Notley, uh, who seems incredibly competent and, and is well-spoken. Um, I mean, it seemed, at least now it seems like a, it was a good decision. We'll have to see how she actually does in the next election. This is an aside. Uh, I discovered during uh, the NDP... Uh, leadership election that Rachel Notley is the sister of Stephen Notley. Oh, you didn't know that? Who is the author of Bob the Angry Flower. Yeah. I did not know that. I had not made that connection until that night when I was like, oh my God. Interesting side fact Stephen Notley now works for PopCap Games, which are the makers of Plants vs. Zombies, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, both Rachel and Stephen are the children of Grant Notley, who is a famous uh, Alberta politician who has a park. Uh, that memorializes him just at the top of Victoria Victoria Park Road, which is yeah. you know just a little Edmonton fact for those of you yeah. who don't really know. And and plants versus zombies is going to be the theme for the next provincial election. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, is that a dig on the oil sands? Who, I don't even know. Who are the zombies in this case? Is it the electorate? Because that's what it seems like. I don't know. Um, now you mentioned the Wild Roses' fortunes not really turning favorably during these by-elections. And as soon as that happened, Danielle Smith sort of got out in front of it, uh, the leader of the, of, the, of the Wild Rose, and said, you know, I think it's time for another leadership review at our AGM, even though there wasn't one scheduled. And then her uh, people basically said, nope, no leadership vote. We're not going to do that. So what's that all about? Yeah, it was it was really a strange move because uh, I really felt that when you know right after the by election losses happened, yeah, you're right. She she went in and she declared, "I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to break protocol and we're going to have a leadership review. I'm going to put myself up to uh, to be reviewed by the party members at our next convention, which is which is in mid November." Uh, and uh, and then all of a sudden there was a whole bunch of there were a whole bunch of things that happened right after that. There was a lot of chaos. There were a lot of people in the Wild Rose Party who were really disappointed that the Wild Rose strategy didn't win them any by elections. They thought the, the the party was way too negative. They were going after Redford when Prentice had already put Redford behind him. Uh, and then there's this guy named Joe Anglin, right? Who's uh, who's uh, he, he's the M- MLA for the riding of uh, Sundry Rocky Mountain House Rimby. I think I got that right. It's either Sundry Rocky Mountain House Rimby or Rimby Rocky Mountain House Sundry. 
but it, but it's all three of those towns are named in this riding, though. Exactly. So so you know you Google that and you'll find you'll find that. So Joe Anglin, who is this kind of uh, uh, he's he's what I'd call the wild card of Alberta politics. <laughs> uh, um, he's uh, he's a, a property rights activist in, in in central Alberta. He's actually the former leader of the Green Party of Alberta. Yeah, which is kind of strange, right? Yes, very strange. Uh, but. Uh, uh, he ran as a Wild Rose Party candidate in the last election and got elected out in Rocky Mountain House. And he's been kind of this, uh, he's kind of a maverick, I guess you could say. He's, you know, kind of a one-man, the one-man wolf pack of, of Alberta politics. <laughs> uh, and there was this whole kerfuffle around uh, around his what was going on in his riding. Because he'd, he'd actually lost his nomination to run in, as a Wild Rose candidate in the next election. That's right, yeah. So... You know, there was there was question about what his future was going to be because he's actually pretty popular in central Alberta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so there was a anyway, there was a, some dispute around the election of a new board. It's all pretty boring. Your listeners are going to be really bored. It's all inside baseball. Uh, but essentially, a what I would describe as a pro Joe Anglin slate got elected as as the board of directors for the local Wild Rose Riding Association. Uh, over overtaking the uh, the group that had been the, been in there before that was seen as as being loyal to the new candidate, uh, so the party had appointed uh, uh, someone to go in and investigate, and at the same time it was it was uh, there are claims that Joe Anglin was making some trouble for his caucus that he wasn't for the for the Wild Rose caucus that he wasn't wasn't getting along with his with his with his colleagues, so. Uh, Daniel Smith and the Wild Rose, they put forward a motion to the caucus. They, were, they, they told Joe Anglin that they were going to put forward a motion to the caucus to have him removed, to have him kicked out. Well, he beat them to the punch. You know, right after Daniel Smith said she was going to have a leadership review, Anglin said, I'm out of here. You guys are, you know, a bunch of schmucks. Uh, I'm going to go sit as an independent. Uh, and then basically kind of preempting the the, the actual the, the Wild Rose MLAs from voting him out. Oh, okay, so that's why I wasn't I wasn't entirely clear on why he decided to sit as an independent other yeah. than the fact that he was dissatisfied well, they, well, with they the were, party. He dissatisfied with the party and they were going to kick him out yeah. anyway. So he went out and then right after they kicked him out, the Wild Rose MLAs had this vote saying we believe in our leader. We support her 100%. Even though she said she wants to have a leadership review, we're asking the party to cancel the leadership review because she has our full support now that this guy's out. Hmm. Uh and anyway, it turns out that the party actually couldn't have had a leadership review in that time period because there's like a 60-day period in their constitution. Oh. So when Danielle Smith had called for a leadership review, she was actually breaking her party's constitution. Or I mean, she wasn't. They wouldn't have been able to do it. She wasn't. Breaking, it, it, it wasn't deliberate. Of it wasn't. Course. No, it wasn't deliberate. I think she was. It was intentional on her point. In her part, I think she at the time she probably actually wanted a leadership review to happen in order to to. Uh, uh, put away any doubts about her leadership going into the next election, but it turned out that. The, constitutionally, the party couldn't actually do it. it. Is do you think that keeping her around is the right choice for the Wild Rose Party at this point? I think until the next, I think you know, keeping her at least until the next election is yeah. uh, is 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 good for the. I mean, is is really important for the Wild Rose Party. She is their most recognizable figure. You know, she is the Wild Rose Party, really. Yeah. I think you know, if you were to talk to take a you know bump into someone on the street and ask anybody if they could name a Wild Rose Emily other than Daniel Smith, you'd just get blank stares. Um, I, I think that some people might be familiar with uh, Rob Anderson just because he's quite oh, yeah. outspoken as well. But, yeah, yeah. I, but I, I, I think I think you're, you make a great point. I mean, he she is the most well known, and she has taken the party maybe in a direction that um, not all members are satisfied with because they really did want a hard right protest party. But you know, I think Danielle Smith realized early on if that's all they are, they have no hope of ever forming a government. 
Yeah, and what do, what do they do now? I mean, the big question is, what do they do now that Allison Redford isn't there? I mean, Redford was even. I mean, go back to Stelmack was a huge lightning rod for the Wilders. Redford was a huge lightning rod for the Wilders. Yeah, like Allison Redford gave Albertans a reason to vote Wild Rose. Uh, without Allison Redford, what's the what's the compelling reason to vote Wild Rose? If people think Jim Prentice is relatively agreeable, that you know he's kind of boring, but at least he's not Allison Redford and he's not driving the province into the ground. Uh, maybe they'll support him. I think Albertans are, would be com- are comfortable giving him a chance. But what what is the Wild Rose's compelling reason to, to vote for them now? And I, I don't know what that is yet, and I don't think they've figured that out yet. One of the criticisms I've heard uh, frequently about the Wild Rose Party is that um, their platform is entirely built on criticism of everyone the else. PCs. Yeah. They, they have no identity other than we don't like everybody else. And they have no compelling argument for why what they would do better. All they can do is just criticize what everyone else is doing wrong. And I've I've heard that criticism from a number of different people. Well, I mean, in a way, they're sort of forced into that position because they're an opposition party. But I agree with you, Scott. I mean, well, even before they were in opposition. Yeah, no, no, they, they're they're a protest party. Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean, really, the Wild Rose at its at its core is really a split off from the PC party. Like it's it's the it's the disgruntled Tories who left after Ralph Klein left, after Ralph Klein resigned, and they were disgruntled with the way the party was going. Yeah, and they went off and formed their own party. I mean, Daniel Smith used to be a, a PC party member. Rob Anderson was a PC MLA before he crossed the floor to the Wild Rose. So the roots are really in in the kind of the disgruntled wing of the PC party. So uh, Joe Anglin did actually uh, suggest that there was going to be. He, he referred to an internal civil war that was that was brewing among wild rosers. Do you see that actually coming to fruition, or was he just full of shit? Well, I think it's it's it'll be interesting to see what happens at the party's convention in November, uh, because I think I think if there if there's going to be some sparks that fly, it'll probably be at this convention when when wild rose activists are able to get together. I mean, it, depends, it really depends on how well how controlled the convention is. Um, whether you know whether Danielle Smith supporters are able to kind of browbeat her opponents down and and get them not to you know g- give her give her a chance at least until the next election, I think it just really speaks to how I mean number one how disappointed uh, Wild Rose and Wild Rose members were for the party's loss and the absolutely poor showing in these by elections. And also, there's some even though the party did really well, the Wild Rose did really well in the last election. I mean, they went from uh, went from four to 17 seats and got like 35, 36% of the vote in the last election. It, I think there was some real genuine disappointment among Wild Rose members and even MLAs who thought they'd be in government. They thought they'd be cabinet ministers. Yeah. But instead they're sitting in the opposition. And, you know, when you're running to be a government, sitting in the opposition is, is really no fun. And when you're used to being, you know, if, if you used to be a Tory party member and used to, you know, have that kind of access to government, and then you went and joined this new party because you thought they were going to be the next government, uh, sitting in the opposition benches is just no fun. Yeah. You don't get to go to, you don't get to go to all the fun parties. It would be frustrating. It would be very frustrating. Now, are you, do you typically go to some of these party conventions uh, to cover them? Uh, are you going to go to the Wild Rose one in November? Uh, I probably won't make it to the Wild Rose one in November, um, but I have, I mean, I do go to some when they're, when they're in Edmonton and sometimes in Calgary. That's cool. Um, now, tell me a little bit about uh, Stephen Mandel and Gordon Dirks. How do you think that these two are going to do uh, as ministers in in provincial politics, because Gordon, well, not only that, for a limited time potentially too, because they have one year essentially to stake their claim and make an impact before they're campaigning again. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, I mean, no one's really quite clear, like, for example, Stephen Mandel with healthcare, no one's really quite clear what is what his mandate is. I mean, there's been talk about increasing regional decision-making in Alberta Health Services. So going back to the multi-board model? Maybe. I mean, no one's really quite clear what exactly that means, whether they're going to dissolve AHS or whether they're going to just de- decentralize more uh, or devolve power to the, to, the, to the zones or to the regions. Um, I mean, I think that Stephen Mandel and Gordon Dirks are in a bit of two different situations. That Stephen Mandel, uh, you know, he's very well known in Edmonton. He was a popular mayor in the city. Uh, he carries his own brand. Um, so I think that, you know, when people vote, went and voted for Stephen Mandel, I think it was likely Stephen Mandel first, PC party second in, sure. a, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, but, but even still, uh, the, the way the votes wound up splitting, the PCs picked up way fewer votes than they did when Han- in Hancock's last election. I think he had 60%. Yeah. And Mandel had around 40%. I think it was like 40, 44% around there. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's a by-election and then, you know, it gives the op- opposition parties an opportunity to, uh, to uh, to focus their resources on one riding and in, in Edmonton White Mud where Stephen Mandel won the by election in particular the NDP uh, did very well right um, I can't remember what they, the NDP I mean they got they were about, about nineteen or twenty points behind Steve Mandel but the NDP got about twenty percent of the vote or twenty one percent of the vote in Edmonton White Mud which is not a traditional NDP voting area I think this is the best that the NDP has done in White Mud in in twenty or thirty years wow so he he's going to have maybe a He's, he's going to have to deal with AHS. He's going to have to do it better than Fred Horn did, mm-hmm. which is a massive challenge for anybody. Um, well, it's a steep learning curve, right? Big time, yeah. And it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see when, when the legislature goes back in session how, how Stephen Mandel uh, reacts to the kind of the cut and thrust of question period. Because yeah. as mayor, you don't really get questioned like like a cabinet minister does in the legislature. Actually, you don't get questioned like a cabinet minister does in the legislature at all. Yeah. Uh, question period in legislatures is very, uh, it's, uh, it's brutal. It's, it can be very brutal. And I think that the, uh, the opposition parties will target Mandel because, you know, he is a rookie MLA. He's never really done that kind of politics before. He's, ex- you know, he's experienced in municipal politics where he's the boss yeah. you know, as mayor. Uh, but once you step into the into the legislature in question period, it's uh it's kind of a no holds barred uh, situation. So it'll, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure he can. Uh, he'll be able to hold his own, but it'll be interesting to see whether the opposition parties are able to. Uh, how uh, how combative uh, he he's able to be in, in that situation. It'll be interesting. And the other person they'll be going after is Gordon Dirks. Yeah. So he was a he was a politician in Saskatchewan before. Yeah, he was an MLA and a cabinet minister in Saskatchewan in, in the like the early and mid 1980s. Hmm. So quite a while ago. Uh, and then he was uh, on the Calgary Board of Education for, for about a, 10 years or so. Is that how, like, did, uh, I assume that Jim Prentice had a personal relationship or, or knew, knew him from stuff? Yeah, as far as I know, I mean, I don't know what kind of personal relationship they had, but, I mean, both being in politics in Calgary, I mean, Jim Prentice was a member of Parliament in Calgary for a number of years. I imagine they probably floated in some of the same political circles, both conservatives in Calgary, both you know, he was, Dirks was the chair of the Calgary Board of Education, and and Prentice was the senior cabinet minister in Ottawa. I'm mm-hmm. sure they they floated in some of the similar political circles. So I'm sh- I'm sure they knew each other that way. So how do you think he's going to do in this role? Is there any indication from his past about the kinds of policies that he's interested in? Well, one, I mean, one of the big controversies during the by-election and when he was appointed 
uh, as education minister before he ran in the by-election was his was his uh, his connection to a number of kind of evangelical Christian groups. I mean, he's uh, uh, he was a, a pastor and a, and a school administrator in in uh, in a number of uh, Christian schools in uh, in Calgary, and there was some question about. You know, rightfully or wrong, wrongfully, I think we, you know, we can give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt and see actually how he does as education minister. But there were some concerns raised about his commitment to public education, to secular education, if he has such ties to, you know, such strong ties to religious groups and to religious institutions and yeah. educational institutions in Calgary. Is he going to use his position to, you know, push forward, push an agenda where, where, uh, where private Christian schools, you know, are, are put put in put put in an advantage? I don't know. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what uh, what kind of decisions he actually makes. It's going to be a very interesting year in the uh, in the legislature. And um, w- when do they actually get back into into session? Uh, I think on November seventeenth is when they uh, they get back into session in the legislature. Right in time, just in time for Christmas shopping season. Exactly. Well, you know, there's there's the old uh, uh, saying that. Um, uh, the joke that goes around the legislature is that the the MLAs usually sit until early December, mid December, so that uh, that the uh, the wives of rural MLAs can come into Edmonton and do their Christmas shopping before, uh, <laughs> and then they break the session right before Christmas. So that's, you know, whether that's true or not, uh, that's uh, that's definitely the uh, the sayings that go around. Now, uh, seeing as we were talking about Gordon Dirks, the new education minister, one of the first uh, private member bills going up before the legislation is, in fact, an education-related bill. Um, and I want to say it's being put forward by a liberal uh, member of the Legislative Assembly. Um, I want to say it's Lori Blakeman who's putting forward the... That's you're right. nodding your head. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's um, as I was trying to remember. And it's the Equality in Education Act, and it's uh, about uh, being more supportive of uh, essentially gay and, and lesbian and transges- transgendered students. Mm-hmm. And actually kind of codifying that in the uh, Education Act of the province as opposed to just it kind of being a suggestion and it, that it, maybe you don't hate on the gays. It, it's a policy that's held at the board level, I think, for the Edmonton Public School Board, or at least it was discussed when back when Christopher Spencer was, uh, was a public school trustee. I remember that being, being a thing. Yeah, I think it's my understanding. It's my understanding that the, the Edmonton Public School Board passed a, a resolution in support of that. But uh, most public school boards in Alberta do not have such. That's right. Yeah, rules. and and Catholic school boards absolutely do not. Um, I want to say that maybe one does. Oh, okay. I maybe, might be wrong. but I could be mistaken. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> maybe. So what? So I'm, this, I'm typecasting here. This would basically mean that that all of those school boards would have to adopt that. The policy of inclusion. Yeah, and this is kind of, I mean, Lori Blakeman's bill, private members' bill, is kind of, it's kind of a second, the second attempt at doing this. Last, I think it was last last spring, um, or it might have been the year before, uh, Kent Hare, who's a liberal MLA from Calgary, put forward a similar bill that wouldn't have mandated that uh, that school boards have uh, 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 gay-straight alliances in their schools, but it would have said that basically school boards had to endorse them. They couldn't stop them. If the students wanted to go and create, if the students at the schools wanted to, wanted to go and create these organizations in support of, of gay and lesbian, um, uh, their gay and lesbian student colleagues, that the school boards couldn't step in and oppose them. And that bill was defeated uh, by uh, the PCs and the Wild Rose. Hmm. Even though there were a number of PCs and liberals and New Democrats who voted for it, uh, 
a huge group of PCs in Wild Rose MLA or MLAs voted against it, including the education minister at the time, really? Jeff Johnson. Yeah. Well, he had a pretty shitty track record as a as the minister of education, and, and he's no longer education yeah. minister. He's now the minister, I think, of seniors. Of or seniors, that's like that. correct. Yeah. Well, it'll be a, it'll be a really interesting session. We really appreciate you uh, you coming in and chatting with us a bit about it. It's great to have you back on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And be, as befitting one of our uh, guests who helped to basically found the Unknown Studio, we're going to run you through my favorite part of the show okay. right now. The Fast 15. The very same. Now, Dave, do you remember the Fast 15 from when you and Duncan were on? I don't uh, know. We must have done it with Yeah, I think we did do it, yeah. So 15 questions all asked. This is the part where I get to embarrass myself. That's right. right. Okay. We're going we're to reveal very <laughs> strange things. Now, uh, because you were here with someone else as co-guests on the previous time, you would have only been asked half of the Fast 15 questions. And the questions have altered a yeah. little bit since our first season. That's so right. this will be your first time through the whole Fast 15. I, I did feel a little shortchanged last time, so now I get my extra seven and a half yeah. questions. Yeah, well, we, we, yeah. Yeah, it was a Fast 16. <laughs> when fast, we, yes. so, so we've got a Fast 15, uh, 13 questions we ask of all our guests. The last two are wildcard questions tailored to you, sir. Uh-oh, okay. So here we go uh, with our first question, your favorite food. Uh, my favorite food, my Aunt Gail makes this uh, broccoli and rice casserole that, uh, that's awesome. Killer. It's delicious. Your favorite color. Uh, my favorite color, I really like blue. Mac, PC, or Linux? Definitely Mac. Dogs or cats? Definitely dogs. Coffee or tea? Coffee. What What about your favorite holiday? Christmas. I love Christmas. Right on. Your favorite sport? Oh, God, I'm not a sports guy. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a sports guy. <laughs> All right. Dave Dave abstains from the sports I, I abstain. I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> Your favorite pastime? Uh, my favorite pastime? I love writing. Your favorite show to binge watch on Netflix? Uh, this isn't on Netflix, but this is on the, uh, the uh, I think it's Shaw. It's like their spinoff of Netflix. Oh, okay. It's called Show Me. I don't know. We got a free trial. But it has Vikings on it. Oh, yeah. Which is actually pretty awesome. So I you're just say. blasting through that. Yeah, right absolutely. Now. So I'm blasting through Vikings, which unfortunately is not on Netflix. Damn. But, but, I, but I did watch uh, Breaking Bad on Netflix. <sighs> Excellent yeah. show. Very yeah. depressing to watch in in rapid succession. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. What about your favorite movie? Uh, my favorite movie uh, has to be Patton with George C. Scott. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's it's great. an old one, yeah. Yeah, it's a classic, though. Uh, favorite video game? Uh, I recently, uh, well, I've never video games. Uh, Red Dead Redemption, I think, has to be Ooh. my favorite video game. That's a great game. It was, yeah, it was honestly... I think probably one of the best gaming experiences I've ever had. Other, other than uh, there's with two of the recent ones were yeah Red Dead Redemption and uh, The Last of Us, which was really good. Oh yeah, that was terrific. Did you play uh, the zombie version of Red Dead, the Undead Nightmare? I did. That was and great. I thought that was great too. Yeah. yeah, they did a great job with that. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh jeez, I don't know. I think I'd probably fly. Right on. Because I like to travel, and I could go places. Just 
grab Kyla and away yeah. you go. Yes. And some Ky- luggage. Ky- Kyla is my wife, by the way. Yeah. We just grab someone randomly named Kyla. What's your name? <laughs> um, and what about Star Wars or Star Trek? Definitely Star Trek. Yes. I yeah. knew he was going to answer it that yeah. way. We're, we're, uh, we're currently, actually on Netflix, we're currently watching, rewatching the first season of TNG. Oh. Which is filled with incredibly awkward silences. And it was, it was the first season was actually actually pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, but it, but you know it it got a lot better and uh, and it's entertaining to watch. It was captivating for audiences at the time, but when you go back to watch it, it doesn't really hold up that well. No, no, no. no. I watched the uh, the late the, the first Dixon Hill oh. uh, hol- holodeck episode a few weeks ago, and uh, was that know. the one where Guinan joins him in the? No, holodeck? no, that's later on. Guinan, I think Guinan shows up till the second season. That would have been with with Beverly then. Yeah, and then they had they. they I thought it was funny because they had like they're talking about uh, uh, Troy, and at the beginning of the episode, Troy and Picard were talking about uh, going and doing as as kind of a therapeutic thing going to do the holodeck and then Picard says oh yeah maybe I should invite that 20th century historian we just happen to have on this starship <laughs> way out on the far edge of the galaxy I thought wow how convenient is that they just have like a 20th century historian just hanging out on the on the starship enterprise it, it, they are the flagship there was always someone on the ship who had an interest in like modern what we would call modern culture yeah like on Voyager it was uh, Tom Paris yeah and I always thought it was a missed opportunity for them to have someone who is an expert on a time period that was in our future, but in Star Trek's past. Yeah, that would have been Just awesome. so that they could talk about a different time period. Yeah. yeah. Except the budget would never have allowed for that. Nope. Day. We are now on to our wild card questions. So in a, in a Jeopardy match between Thomas Mulcair, Justin Trudeau, and Stephen Harper, who wins? You know, I think Mulcair wins. Really? Yeah, I do. I think he's bright and... Uh... You know, I think a lot of people in Alberta don't really know him. He hasn't really got a lot of exposure, a lot of positive exposure out here. But I actually think he's quite, uh, quite sharp. All right. And if uh, the, if you were to run for a provincial political party in Alberta, who would you run for? Oh my God, this is an awful question. <laughs> <laughs> this might have been the one you want to abstain uh, from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. None, none, none of the above. It All right. Yeah. That that's fair. Dave would sit as an, an as an independent. He would run. As I would run for the Dave Berta party. There you go. Yes. He would represent his constituency and not be beholden to the party system. There you go. Post-partisan Alberta. Isn't that a nice thought? Yeah, uh, that'd be amazing. Good, good luck. Well, thanks for answering our questions, Dave, and thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. That is all. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 105. Our guest, Dave Cornwayer. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. We moved to uh, a different room 
in the building where we have been recording, specifically because we were concerned there was some uh, spill from the traffic noise outside and that it might be uh, uh, in the background of our recording. Not not uh, too terribly distracting, but kind of noticeable on occasions, and that bothered us. We wanted to uh, make the podcast sound a little better. And so we sit down and we start recording. What do we hear in the background but the hum from the vending machine in the other room? So you just you just can't win for losing sometimes. So Adam has gone to uh, unplug that vending machine, at least temporarily, and uh, he is now making his way back somewhat noisily. I can hear him. And uh, then we will actually begin to record this podcast, hopefully without uh, a loud thrumming noise in the background. That would be super duper. That'd be real nice. All right. Wow, you talked a lot. I, I filled the entire space of your absence with the sound of my melodious voice, my mellifluous tones. It um, almost certainly will not make the show. 